Recapping the Hollywood week that was getting you ready for the Holly Weird week to come. This is Mike, Mike, and Oscar Weekly. Hashtag MMO Weekly. Hashtag MMOW. I am your co-host, Mike One, coming to you live from quarantine. Well, I guess not live, but from quarantine, certainly. And co-host also, Mike, is separately at his house still as well. Mike, how are you? Yes, I am doing okay. I wrote this little intro today where I, I was going to say the worm has turned. I've officially started to lose it. Uh, I've, I've gotten the cabin fever if I don't have the COVID. But I just watched SGN, like all three episodes before we hit record. That brightened up my whole disposition. But I was I was getting to the edge, Mike. I was getting to dark places. Thank God for John Krasinski. Oh, 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 I was going to say, what's SGN? But yeah, I haven't watched the latest episode, I guess. And we're, we are going to start and dive right into a uh, what we're watching segment. So, Michael, if you would, with the uh, theme okay. music. It's what we're watching. Thank you. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't watched the latest one. I know what happens. Uh, my father actually watched it and filled me in <laughs> on it. So that's that's where he is not a, uh, a YouTube watcher, video watcher. But I guess that's kind of the waves that John Krasinski has been making with these uh, some good news. So it's it's tough to be down watching those. I wholeheartedly agree. Uh, you could fill us in on that during your segment. I will start off mm-hmm. what we're watching by saying uh, I've watched a lot of Dimension 20. And I texted you about this. I watched, honestly... 18 hours of Dimension 20 on Dropout over the yeah. last, like, week of or so, and I've just been going through their Unsleeping City season. Brendan Lee Mulligan, who we've talked to, he does a great job as a game master. I'm turning into a hardcore nerd. It's just a great scene. I'm amazed by the storytelling aspect of it. I'm Mike, amazed that he's able to weave that tapestry the way he is. You glossed over the thesis statement for this section, I think, because <laughs> you are becoming a hardcore nerd, and you have ruthlessly made fun of me for being a, an, an epic fantasy guy and look at you. Just look uh, at yeah, you. Brennan Lee Mulligan's the man. I'm so glad he turned you <laughs> into one of us. He's very, very talented. It's a very addicting watch. And I think all those people play their role spectacularly. I've bra- I, you know, just lavished praise on it here before and talked about it. I can't stop watching. It's one of those binges I think I'm done with and then I'll repick up. But uh, that's one major thing that took up a majority of my free time watching. The other major thing, the thing I was going to surprise you with, hmm. uh, we've talked talked about often here i'll say I'll, I'll plan on watching something and you'll bust my chops about it and accuse me of just saying that i'm going to watch something that's I correct never do so i dove in michael i put my money where my mouth is and i have watched the first i think six or seven episodes of succession season one so far oh nice that's, I, that's a great show you'll love it it's so good it might be the most perfectly casted show i've ever seen <laughs> Oh, that's the perfect binge watch for these times just to, (laughs) you know, for you especially because you can feel cynical about the business world, about the powers that be, and yet you can still, you know, get sucked into like one of the all-time best binge watches because I imagine it is a superb binge watch. Like you can't stop watching it. All I want to do is have side meetings and side conversations with different members of my family to throw other members of my family under the bus <laughs> and like have these power grabs that are way lower stakes than what goes on in the show. But that's the kind of juice that gets flowing in me. I do think I'm serious about saying I think it's perfectly casted because I'm not exactly sure 
what the end game of this season is still. Like, I get the idea of the power struggle and all that, but I don't understand what the big, like, twist or big reveal in the season finale could be. But I'm just fascinated by these characters, and I want to keep watching them. So I wanted to run down just two or three of my favorites, and you could just, without spoiling what happens, tell me, you know, give me a sense of how wrong I am so far or how right I am so far about who I like the most. Uh, My first love is Greg. I think he's adorable. I, uh, I cried when he died in that. Uh, no, you know that plane crash. <laughs> I know you're fucking with me, family. but I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a big fan of Greg, and I'm a big fan of Shiv so far, and I feel like that's going to turn on me. So it's hard to become a big fan of any one person. I just watched it for the chaos, I guess. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I would agree. Shiv is hard to dislike. Greg is hard to like, though. How do you love Greg? He's like because the, he's Survivor, Micah. He, he, he just wheels and deals and thinks on his feet, and I admire that because I the can't. Ultimate brown noser. <laughs> well, yeah, but he's he plays it safe. Like he's playing the game. I feel like all right. the long way. Like, he knows what people <laughs> want to hear, and he always double checks himself and makes him make sure he's got a safety net set up for himself, which I appreciate. I think he's going to be the big guy. I could be talking out my ass here. You've seen the whole series and reviewed it here, and I I'm just starting it. But I think he's going to be someone that like. Makes it out okay at the end of all this, I hope. I don't know. I don't know. It's only two seasons in. Let's just say, like, the fate is in the balance. You're going to have to, you know, watch these two seasons and then get ready for season three because it's all up in the air. Yeah, I, you were you were very, very right by saying this is a very well-written show and a very well-acted show. And the last one, I mean, Rory Culkin, I'm just, I adore him. He's oh, he's great. hilarious. He's Loki, right? He's just mischievous. He is evil and he is lovable at the same time. And a lot of these characters are. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's that's what I was... Uh, I finally took the dive in. I finally put my money where my mouth is. I have been watching something of some substance, and, and so I'm proud of myself, and uh, yay me. What do you got? What's your, what's your, what's your watching list this week, buddy? Well, together we watched uh, SNL Live at Home, Tom You know, Hanks. you told me to set that up, and I totally forgot, so that's good right. job by you pricking up what, I, uh, what I'm slacking here. Well, Tom Hanks' monologue was pretty awful, I thought, and that's a rarity for Tom Hanks to be so bad uh, on the screen. But you didn't I, like it? I was glad to see him, but like it, he needs like an audience laughing to get him, you know, at maximum charm levels. I think is it, it didn't work for me. I don't get the Pete Davidson skit there, and then the RBG skit was a bit hit and miss. So it was a slow start on the episode for me until we got that fake Zoom conference with the uh, A.D. Bryant. Oh, my God. She made me laugh so hard. So, I mean, th- th- once you got into, like, the middle of the episode, I thought it was just one sketch after another that had some hard, big laughs. I like the uh, the movie critic. I like that character she has. I cannot mm. remember the actress's name, and if a better prepared podcast host would have looked it up beforehand. Uh, <laughs> but I like the movie critic character. I thought that played perfectly for this. I mean, she set it up like it was a YouTube show, and, and I got a couple laughs out of that. Michael yeah, we can K. relate. We can relate yeah, right. to her life. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> a little too close to home, I agree. Michael Che had a tough week. Yeah. I know he uh, he lost his grandmother to COVID, and then they had to prepare this, and he was going off on these Instagram, you know, thanking everyone for being there, thanking for their well wishes, said it was nice to have this to concentrate on. And I think that's why he the weekend update segment had was done in a Zoom conference. I mean, all the other cast members were there laughing, acting as the audience. And that was really sweet to see, to see them, like, the, just the humanity of everyone coming together and just sharing laughs. It was kind of like a peek behind the curtain of how that show was written every week. Totally, and it was really funny. I thought it was one of the funnier yeah. Weekend Update sketches in a while. I mean, they had the joke swap. They had Alec Baldwin call in. I mean, that was hilarious. And then 
Mike, we had two like major highlights in that episode. So even if you guys don't watch it out there, you know, check out these two sketches. We had Chloe Fineman do a master class ad, a <laughs> fake ad parody, where she is Timothy Chalamet doing a perfect impression. My God, it was hysterical. And then she is also Carol Baskin from Tiger King. It was yes. just a dead-eyed perfection there as well. And then you had this animated sketch and i won't give it away but go check that out it was one of the funnier reveals in a while so just yeah go it's got to be all over youtube check it out check out the clip there you go i said i thought it was interesting i wonder if they will do that at least one show per year because i think innovation is going to rule the day at the at the end of this people are going to discover that there's you know more uh it's easier to do things from home and it puts a different spin on that and then people appreciate it more. It gives a more personal look at these uh, characters that we see on TV. I thought it worked. I don't know if they can do it every single week. Like that's probably got to be a tough ask and a, and a you know huge endeavor. Right. But I, I thought they pulled off that one episode. I just Agreed. wish they started off with some funnier stuff. I wonder if that, you know, turned some people off. Yeah. All right. What else you got, Mike? Well, the reason why I was you know, worrying about my sanity is that I did a deep dive on Saturday, and this was my whole Saturday, Michael. I watched Don't Call Me Bigfoot, and this is a Bigfoot documentary from 2020 on Amazon Prime, and I there's a direct correlation with my level of sanity and how many Bigfoot documentaries I'm watching, because I'm always watching them. But they throw me down these rabbit holes, and I just I get I get dark with them because I don't know. It like tickles my you know epic fantasy loving brain at the same time. It is a useless endeavor for me, and I love every second of it. Now this particular doc, it's easily the smartest, most coherent, if not convincing, then compelling Bigfoot documentary you're gonna see. You got an anthropologist uh, giving a, giving you a scientific slant on the probability of whether or not they're Bigfoot out there, and it's basically like just an argument about. If they're out there, this is probably what's out there. And if they're out there, then this is how they're surviving or, 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 you know, what, you know, history tells us, what anthropology tells us, what science tells us in general. But then there's also this other, like, he calls himself an armchair expert, Mike. He is called uh, the Matt Squatch. Of course. <laughs> and he's a YouTuber whose YouTube videos I went on a, you know, a deep dive with. So that's what took up my whole Saturday. And he gets into some of the kookier theories, but I like that he like shoots them down and he kind of studies like the real evidence. So he's actually a really smart guy. He's an outdoorsman. And I want him on the show, Mike. I, in <laughs> fact, I demand it. I want a Mike, Mike and Matt Squatch show. So we're going to have to ask him at some point. This is you, happening. You grow the Bigfoot Hunter equivalent beard <laughs> and then we'll get Matt Squatch on the show. Oh, I love him. I, he's a great YouTuber. What a personality. I mean, he's been on a million podcasts. I was listening to those all day Saturday. Saturday as well so that was my the start of my weekend I pulled it together because I watched all the new stuff on Netflix and everywhere else uh, I watched Tiger Tail this was very slow very sad but as we thought from the trailer when we reviewed it you know great cinematography mm-hmm. a couple of excellent performances on this coming of age story but it's also a family saga we have you know, younger actors portraying the younger selves in China. It's an immigrant story of C. Ma's character, why he was in Six Degrees of MMO. Oh, so he's da- the main character. Yeah, he's the main character. He's got a great uh, performance from his daughter in the movie, Christine cool. Ko. And this is Alan Yang's, I think, family story. I think there's a lot of truth to this. And he has such a promising future, Mike. I 
I think there's some negatives about the movie. Like there's some breakneck mood swings that really fit like the cliched, you know, ups and downs of any plot. But I, I think he'll blend those tonal issues better in the future. So like this is a strong B grade from me because the highs are really high. And if you're, th- you know, if you're just want like a slow burn kind of a watch, if you want something emotional, again, cinematography is a highlight. Editing is a highlight. And there's some great scenes. Well, that's good. I, I haven't actually seen a lot of reviews about it. And I, I don't know that a lot of people have gotten to it, but I know Alan Yang has been everywhere this week. He's been all over the ringer. He's been all over ESPN. Uh, so he's certainly been doing his part, doing out and going to promoting. And he's been talking about how weird it is to have to do the promotional circuit without having to show up in person at places. <laughs> he's just calling into everywhere and zooming into everywhere. So good to see that this effort was worth it. And that's a solid film that he's got. Yeah, definitely a solid film. I and mean, you can see the potential. Like, he's going to be a, a, a real good director, right. auteur, a, as he goes along in his career. Mike, I watched Les Miserables, and I don't mean the uh, Anne Hathaway movie. This is the, you know, kind of dirty cop drama on Amazon Prime that was nominated for an Oscar out of France over Portrait of a Lady on Fire from 2019. And, uh, you know, Prime is showing some good movies. This is basically like a more serious version of Do the Right Thing. You know, Do the Right Thing oh, had wow. a lot of comedy to it. And it, it's definitely like a day in the life. It's a couple days in the life of these cops. And they're going around this urban community and shit goes down. I mean, you somehow... You feel for every single character, and everybody's making huge mistakes, colossal mistakes, doing terrible things. So this is a complex and challenging movie-watching experience. I don't think it's as good as Portrait of a Lady on Fire. According to my grades, I gave that one an A-. minus. I do give this one a B plus though, and I can see how it's on a similar tier. So this is like a B plus 88 for me. A tough watch, but if you're up for it, it's worth it. Yeah, that was that was kind of the underlying question. It's a little unfair that Les Mis is probably going to be held up to Portrait of a Lady on Fire because France decided to go with Les Mis over Portrait of a Lady on Fire at the Oscars, like you just mentioned. And you share the same sentiment that all the review sites do, that Portrait of a Lady on Fire seems to be the superior film. But nice to know that that film has its own merits and it's a you know, B-plus 88 like you have for it. It's a relatively high grade, certainly. I- I haven't seen all of the international films from last year. That's what these these you know four or five months are always for because there's ninety right. something films that are nominated from each country for the official selection there out of that branch. So we never get to see them all until you know the next calendar year starts. I do think like this is one of my top five. So that's oh, wow. not saying much, but like Portrait of a Lady and this movie and Parasite, they're in my top five, no question about it. So that that's a good sign. And I was I was giving the Academy a lot of shit for that. I was giving this branch a lot of shit. It's a damn good movie. So uh, maybe we should ease back on that. I did watch two more new movies on Netflix, Mike. I watched a Love Wedding Repeat on the... Uh, you know, recommendation of my brother. Uh, we did a window visit at my grandma's and we kind of, you know, from afar, he's like, you got to watch this movie. <laughs> Mike, it's four weddings and a funeral meets death at a funeral. And I think <laughs> okay. Sam Clayfin and Olivia Munn are the somehow the worst part of the movie. Like all the side characters are better and I don't buy their romance at all. But you have... <laughs> The wedding is beautiful. You have a, a lot of comedy in the script that works. It's probably like a B minus, C plus somewhere in there. Like major points off for the you know lack of chemistry between the leads. But you know they're good in their own right. They're, they're good performances, I guess. But I, I just didn't buy those two. Uh, then you have the main event, Michael, on Netflix. This is basically if the WWE did a version of Rookie of the Year. 
I've been tempted. I will not lie. I did not take the dive yet, but I've been tempted to watch it. This is how bored I was. No, this no. This how bored I was on Friday. <laughs> and this is probably what caused me to, you know, dive into the Bigfoot uh, on, on Saturday. <laughs> Only one place to go once you're done with the pro wrestling. Yeah, I was like, I, you know what? I just don't like movies anymore, I guess. I just <laughs> can't do them anymore. Going to rededicate event, my life to hunting Sasquatches. The main event broke me on movie watching. <laughs> it's not a bad movie. I'm sure kids like it. It's utterly preposterous. Like, the wrestling is, is taken as real, 100% real, and you got a kid beating up six foot seven people. You know, it's what, what do you What do you mean it's taken as real? What, is, what do you mean? Uh, Mike, I think uh, I think you need to watch this movie as homework and just what's, what's the implication you're going for here? I don't follow. Like, I'm sure like if you watch this movie, you'd find some fun things about it. And again, it's you know, it's for kids. It is very much for kids. It has some good metaphors. It has some good messages. All right, fine. It's not for me. I can't believe I got through it, but it did. Bro- it did break me down. I am uh, offended with how positive you were about the Bigfoot stuff and how low you are on the pro wrestling stuff. No, th- this movie's garbage. Don't get me wrong. It is utter and complete garbage, and I hated every second of it. Uh, but, I, you know, I was curious. I've been watching wrestling documentaries, so I wanted to check it out. But I did. I do have the best thing I watched this week. I watched it earlier last week. Uh, it's called The Miracle Worker. It was a, a double Oscar winner in the Best yeah. Actress, both Best Actress categories. It's the story of Helen Keller and uh, her teacher, Ann Sullivan. And I avoided this movie for years because it just seemed like a parade of sadness, right? Because you have this blind and deaf young girl. She's got to be taught everything. And it just seemed like the saddest movie ever. And yet, Mike, it was electric. Anne Bancroft, I'm just reminded at what a talent she was. And to have her going toe-to-toe with one of the best teenage child actresses we've ever seen, obviously, by the Oscar win, Patty Duke is so damn good in this. The two of them have these theatrical scenes, because this was a play, and it was an adaptation of a play, right. that are just ferocious. They're great teaching scenes. They have unstoppable momentum, and you can usually only achieve that on stage. When you You're doing really a great get... sale job of it. This was actually one of the few movies that I actually watched in school. I think I watched oh, this wow. in seventh grade. They showed this to me, to, to our class. Uh, and I just remember not loving it back then but i well, also was a punk kid so yeah you're you're an asshole then right. and <laughs> right, some fair. would say some would say <laughs> later than then but i do think like this is one hell of a movie and if you're just looking for great performances like you and i at this stage you know we appreciate great acting performances right. and i i was blown away by both of those all right good to know i i would say it's something i should revisit but i i probably will never watch the miracle worker movie again to be honest with you but if you want a fresher take with 2020 eyes that's what mike just provided for you as far as what the miracle worker has in store for Uh, a lot of good stuff that you could be watching now available at your fingertips that's why we do the what we're watching segment on mmo weekly and we will transition now into covering the news of the week or corona stuff News, 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 All right, so let's start with some, I don't know, happy, mediocre? It's news. It's definitely information, to kick things off in this segment, at least. We know Dune now is going to be a two-parter from Denis Villeneuve, and we got our first looks from the set itself. So I love these first look photos. I was surprised to read a lot of shade online on film Twitter. Tons of shade. 
People didn't like it. They didn't like the costumes. I thought they were cool. I thought Timothy Chalamet looked cool. He always looks cool. Uh, the suits are very Nolan Batman-y, I thought. And uh, the VFX, they're blended into the backgrounds real well. I mean, it's supposed to be this realistic-looking setting, you know, worked into the landscapes and the desert terrain. So, obviously, they're holding back on a lot of the bigger visuals to come. So Yeah, I'm with you. I was impressed by this, and I thought the hate that it was getting was totally unfair, especially that one shot of Chalamet walking on the beach or whatever that looked Beautiful. Like. What's wrong with that? If you were to tell people that this was the still from the next Star Wars movie, they'd be doing backflips. Oh, my God, look how gorgeous it is I, I i think people just want to hate dune i i think that the david lynch movie put a bad taste yeah in people's mouth. i agree i think it is such a humongous movie that people are a little i don't know jealous of it they're, they're quick to bring it down like you said and uh i yeah i disagree with the uh the fire against it because it looked like the beginning of rogue one and the beginning of rogue one was you know just nature gasms like crazy when we started that movie with sam mendelson you know hunting for young felicity jones there and that this reminded me of that I, I loved it i'm i'm with you i don't understand the the hate and disdain and i disagree a lot with what i saw going on there so uh, i'm very interested if nothing else you could say dune was at the people's you know the forefront of people's lips and it was certainly a hot topic of conversation amongst film twitter this week some other news pixar soul has officially moved it's getting a new release date of november 25th that's no longer on June. Raya and the Last Dragon as well has been moved to March 12th of next year, 2021. So that's the moves Disney's been making. Yeah, it's a huge shakeup to the best animated film category. I had predicted 100% accurately that Raya and the Last Dragon was going to yeah. be nominated and probably win. And based on one you know, animated still photo <laughs> from the movie, but I, I'm pretty sure I was right. And now it's, I'm going to be right for 2021. I wonder if onwards increased profile and positive reception helped Disney make this decision because maybe they think now that they'll still get two films nominated in that category that they, that they always want if they can get, you know, chances at the Apple there, the animated film Oscar Apple and Raya, you know, can still do well ne next March because everybody's moving around and trying to get that rele release date real estate that uh, everybody's been moving around and maneuvering for. I hated our Onward review because I was so high. I had goosebumps in that movie coming out of it. And then we're talking with you and Madi of the movie Marathoners and everybody, you're all down on it more than I was. And I was like near tears and I was happy with it. So good. I'm glad. I hope that wins the Oscar. That'd make me feel better. Uh, we, uh, we were high on it. We just, I know you both were. We didn't just... love it 100% and you were... I, I, I really did like it, but uh, yeah. my, it's, it's, it's aided now by my niece and nephew are huge fans of it as well. So oh, good. now it's a sentimental favorite too. But yeah, interesting to see what the animated picture landscape is going to be. And I think now this also leaves Tenet as the only blockbuster left on the schedule that hasn't been officially moved. So you wonder if that could be the kickoff for the reopenings and they're holding it there, holding out hope that, uh, you know, things can go better than expected and... You know, people will be ready to go to the movies in mid-July. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm guessing it's going to get moved to at least August, you know, yeah. somewhere around Wonder Woman. Yeah, so I fully expect once uh, once we publish this episode, immediately after they'll officially move that. So, Well, it's like dominoes, right? I mean, it's yeah. just one. the next big movies moves. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I think we agree there, too. It's probably not going to end up uh, in July. Well, we will see. Obviously, France will not allow film festivals until mid-July at the earliest. So you wonder if this cancels the Cannes Film Festival, because apparently they've had a historically difficult time opening in July or considering July and August in the past because they usually have a tourism boom in the south of France starting July 2nd, they say. Uh, so we, we, we have the fall film festivals kind of boxing them out of September that are still on the slate. So there might be a short window in August contending with all the, the rest of the traffic there with tourism. So can officials haven't commented yet uh, when we're recording this, but it doesn't look good. Yeah, I think I'm in favor just generally of national governments giving illusory dates or ever-changing dates to look forward to because, yeah, people are getting restless, especially with the quarantine, especially in America, especially in the Northeast. Uh, You know, it's understandable, but it's also leading to some outright stupidity. I saw a protest in the streets of Vancouver over the weekend that was a protest to protest the lockdown, and it was just a bunch of people gathering in groups, walking the streets of Vancouver. Uh, it's the stupidest fucking thing I've, I've seen during this, you know, whatever. But I, I think countries should follow France's lead here. I'm even going to give, you know, our leaders in government a little, uh, I guess, support. So brace yourselves, because this won't happen often. <laughs> I think they should follow what America's done, even though our president has said April 30th, which is way too soon anyway, and has already started backtracking on that, chomping at the bit to reopen the economy, because he's a doofus. I'm sorry, I just couldn't do it. I can't I can't go full war with giving him a compliment. Um, anyway, but I, think, I think that's the right idea. I think you want to give it a date sometime in the future, and then as you get closer to that, if you need to kick it off further down the line, you can do that, but give a hard and fast date if July 15th and then just keep hammering that. Nobody is going to do anything until July 15th at the earliest, if that's so, the date you want to go with. So the way I interpreted all that monologuing was that we are basically on a cross-country road trip as you know citizens and the mm-hmm. president is driving the car. It's a family vacation. <laughs> right. And we're basically asking him constantly, are we there yet? Are we there yet? <laughs> and if they don't answer, no, we'll just, are we there yet? Are we there? We get more annoying. And then finally, you know, by the end of it, he's Chevy Chase and his, his beloved wife touches his shoulder and he goes, don't touch. <laughs> And he freaks out at a reporter or something, maybe. Yeah, so. more or less. And he That's was in rare form the other day. I get day. it. Yeah, I get it. It makes some sense. It's trying times. But I'm not a fan of his either, but whatever. It's a, a human story for once about the man. Mike, we have a another huge story that I'm really eager to talk about. Martin Scorsese. He is talking now with Apple, apparently, with Netflix, apparently, perhaps, mayhaps, I don't know, about additional funding for his next movie, Killers of the Flower Moon, starring De Niro and DiCaprio. Yeah, so cue the song Never Gonna Get It from In Vogue back in the <laughs> Never gonna get it, never gonna get it. I don't know if I want to play that to refer to the additional funding or in terms of Scorsese's idea of what studios are actually going to give money for anymore. But the days of Marty getting $200 million, I think, are over for the foreseeable future. All right. As usual, you write something down and then I go on a research deep dive just to refute you because I'm a contrarian. Yeah, but that's I, fine. But here's the thing. My instinct is to agree with you because none of us know the Netflix numbers. Did mm-hmm. the Irishman make them money? I don't know 
But let, let's look into it for a second here. First of all, you know, why is a Scorsese DiCaprio movie getting consideration for a budget like this in the first place, especially with all those variables or question marks, right? So we basically reported that once upon a time in Hollywood needed like 380, right? At the mm-hmm. at the box office right. to break even because that was such a filmmaker friendly deal for Tarantino. He owned a lot of the back end. Sony was was working in their Oscar campaign money into the deal. We covered all of this last year and essentially after the 374 that the movie brought in, it probably broke even and now that it's been on Blu-ray and VOD and it's sold to stars on premium television. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is probably finally profitable on the back end because it's made, whatever, $17 million on VOD. What did I write down? And, and yeah, $17 million there on the numbers uh, com, which is only reporting on Blu-rays and DVDs. So mm-hmm. you, you're guessing that it made maybe another $20 million on uh, digital. Now, Scorsese has a strong box office record in his own own right, like Leo. He has The Departed from 2006. That made almost $300 million on a $90 million budget. And then a whopping 144 on Blu-ray DVD, according to the numbers. That's a huge hit for WB, The Departed, One Best Picture, etc. Combine him with Leo, you have The Wolf of Wall Street, which is an immediate box office smash hit. It made almost $400 million on a $100 million budget in 2013, $37 million on Blu-ray and DVD from the numbers, another mega hit. Mm-hmm. So that's why he's got this precedent in his track record where you can say, all right, Paramount's, they're not stupid to give him 125 after these other studios gave him 100 you know, for those other movies, they're not stupid. They, they see the precedent. They're, you know, projecting it upwards. Now, the math changes when you shift to streaming because no longer do you have to do the 2.5, your budget, because you're not sharing the, the profits with your, your cinemas and the movie-going industry. So Netflix is playing a much different game economically than movie studios, as would Apple Plus be in this scenario. You know, Netflix is basically, they're after the $180, $200 a year in subscriptions at $15 a month that we're all paying, correct? So right. basically what they want to do is like that spotlight, uh, that movie spotlight talking about making our paper essential to our readers. They're trying to make Netflix essential to their viewers and to keep people paying the $15 a month. So does the Irishman and having award season movies do that for people like us? Hell yeah, it does. Does Tiger Kings, though, discourage the big money that you got to spend on awards movies when Netflix starts to realize, just like TV stations did years ago, you can make, you know, people love you for cheaper. Like you don't have to overspend. So after something like Tiger King, I would be shocked if someone like Netflix went in for another $300 million boom. Uh, especially with after they over leveraged themselves. I mean, obviously it's been fortuitous for them since, but they over leveraged themselves with the content by heading into the streaming wars. My argument was going to be, what do you think actually brings in more subscriptions to Netflix? Something like the Irishman or something like stranger things, which you can do a whole season for probably a fraction of the cost or maybe the, the total budget, who knows? If you asked Apple TV Plus, and I have two questions for you. If you asked Apple TV Plus, they would say TV series because they're trying to get people for the long haul. They're trying to get $5 a month out of everybody. They're trying to sell 
Apple TVs, iPhones, iPads, they're also playing another game like Amazon Prime is trying to sell free, you know, free shipping that basically sells Amazon and mm-hmm. everybody uses Amazon more because they get the free shipping. Just like Disney Plus is playing a different game, basically selling more vacations and you know, to Disney theme parks and merchandise and toys. You know, they have all of these other revenue streams naturally built into their pr- streaming service. So I wonder if it's worth it for Apple. Again, this one-time movie doesn't really fit like what their strategy has been. But if they have On the Rocks with Sofia Coppola and they have the big Scorsese movie, all of us are getting, you know, that service for the $5 a month when they put it out there, especially if this year's Oscar requirements and eligibility requirements don't force people to have a theatrical window. So I'm wondering if Apple Plus bites there, Mike, and, you know, again, I, I put it to you. I mean, what do you think Netflix is looking at after Parasite and Green Book size movies? They win Best Picture and their tent poles like The Irishman don't win. Because when you try to buy Oscars, or at least when there's the perception is that you're trying to buy Oscars, you don't usually buy the Academy off that and that's That's the question. Was The Irishman a success or a failure to Netflix? Obviously, they they did it. They invested in it. And, and Scorsese and De Niro and everyone's on the record saying Netflix stepped up when no other studio would. Well, P.S., there's a reason traditional studios didn't step up to give $200 million or $300 million to Scorsese for The Irishman. But you're right. Netflix is playing a different game. So if The Irishman was a success by Netflix standards, yeah, they could probably get away with doing it again. I personally, knowing what we know about the movie, my thought was, the Irishman might have left a little egg on Netflix's face because to have to go what they went at the Oscars, 0 for 10 or whatever it was, yeah. I mean, that's that's a blemish. For especially for investing that much in the new technology, you can't even win best VFX, and arguably the VFX were the worst part of the movie. I mean, there's... There's there seems to be more harm more damage than good that came from doing the Irishman and yeah you have it and yeah it's in your library and yeah people can watch it whenever and it is a landmark movie so maybe it does bring in new subscribers but I don't know that you know if you're going to invest that much money into something I don't think Netflix is going to be the place to do it again there's only so many streaming services that have that at their disposal right now would Apple do it yeah maybe but if Apple doesn't then I think you're out of options if you're Scorsese. I wonder if, you know, Netflix just does it because they're flush with cash at the end of the day and it's easy pickings or they think that it's all right. It's another, you know, eight time nominee for this year and we'll take another stab at it. We have the money. We might as well. At the end of the day, I think Andrew, the Nomcast and I have talked about this a few times together. We we both think they're going to go more towards the Parasite Green Book size project. Right. Route. Why wouldn't and, you? And the ti- Tiger King has got to just encourage them to do as much because that was probably a cheaper project, definitely cheaper than however many hundreds of dollars they would have to spend on another Irishman, a.k.a. Killers of the Flower Moon. So I would expect them to try to figure out a way to get four marriage story size projects rather than what they're doing with these tent poles. It just makes sense. And this is also, to go back to Scorsese's original argument against blockbusters, if you're putting $200 million and $300 million into a movie, you're doing it to a comic book movie right now. You just are. You're doing it to something that you know is going to make money. You're not doing $200, $300 million on a gamble. And that's essentially what Netflix did. And that's why I say I don't think it paid off for them. I mean, and maybe they feel differently on the inside. And I'm sure if you talk to anyone officially on the record, they're going to tell you it was a huge success. So who knows where the truth is? I do think again they're playing a different game. They're you know the Irishman they made are. them essential to us. Like you could not lose your Netflix subscription. But we're not. But we're not. The, the we're not the argue, We're not the the target for that because we're having Netflix regardless. 
Right, but I mean, if you think about this regularly scheduled awards viewership, which happens every winter for 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 the cinematic world and the movie watching world, if you don't have Netflix, these movies are not coming to every theater near you. You have to have Netflix to see them, and I think that's worthwhile for the, everybody to spend the thirty or the forty-five bucks for those three months. It'd be I, interesting it's... to know too what roped in more subscriptions for them between the Irishman and Marriage Story last year. Well, my guess is the Irishman. But at the same time, Mike, I think that the fact of the matter is they needed to have must-watches on their feed, and those movies were must-watches. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that, and it is it is a different dynamic, and all of us are kind of spitting in the wind because we don't know anything about Netflix's financials or any of their subscriber numbers or anything because they make it that way. So uh, it will be certainly something to keep an eye on as to whether or not Netflix is going to be willing to shell out that kind of big money uh, to something in the future. Apple TV Plus, you could talk about the same thing there as they have yet to kind of do a hundreds of million dollars type right. endeavor. But we have, a, we have a story, too, about someone who can use a hundreds of millions of dollars, Mike. Yeah, this is scary and this is sad, but let's get into it. This is a big story. AMC, everybody's reporting that their bankruptcy is likely that they will file. So this is the biggest story of the week to me. If you read about the financials of it, there's hope. It's not a sure thing. This is basically a projection from an econo- uh, from an economist or economist. I had an argument with your brother one time <laughs> about the proper pronunciation of that job, but we, that's a different uh, conversation. John's right. You're right. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but if AMC, if they file for actual bankruptcy, if they need to close down, if it's not just a reorganization bankruptcy, which is what it sounds like it might be if you read all the articles attached to this, but let's say it's a it's a shutdown bankruptcy move, it's the close. If AMC can't survive, how is any movie chain going to survive at all in this world or in this post-COVID world whenever it comes? Well, again, I'm playing contrarian because I'm a douche, but I, I, th- I think it's important here because we have AMC might be the victim of the worst timing because, Mike, they have over-leveraged themselves to try and grow because they're in the position to take that leap or that uh, attempt at, you know, being the future of movie going. Number one, they've upgraded their cinemas across the, the country. With the Dolby Digitals, that's some of the best, you know, uh, movie watching you can get. Colby does Dolby. He's an A-lister like me. Colby Mack there, our f- friend of the show who we were talking to earlier today. He loves him as much as I love him. It's just the perfect movie-going experience, and they've had to you know, spend a pretty penny for that. They also over-leveraged themselves with A-list, with their new endeavor into streaming and getting all their VOD services going. So I'm guessing, I'm guessing that this pandemic, this worldwide pandemic, hit them at the absolute worst time heading into their money-making season of the late spring and summer where they do their best business and they're supposed to make the money back that they were, you know, owing to people at this point because they took all those loans to get to get things going the way they were going. And, oh, by the way, they bought all these, like, other theaters. They bought, like, 200 theaters in 2016. They were on a buying spree. Well, I don't think there's ever a good time for a month-long shutdown for any kind yeah. of business. So I, And, you know, there is money to be made. I would think movie theaters make the bulk of their revenue twice during the year, once in the summer and then once in the uh, the late fall, their yeah. Oscar season. So there's still hope on the horizon. And if you read the Variety article, they have furloughed. We talked about they furloughed their employee. Their executives took a bunch of big cuts. And if they stop all their basically overhead altogether, they can pretty much double the length of time with which they can 
operate without being open. Uh, that's some. It's a bright line, a glimmer of hope. So it's not that's a good. sure thing that they're going to file for bankruptcy in the first place. Um, my question coming out of all of this is, can a subscription service exist? I mean, you just talked about how they tried to over-leverage themselves and it was a bad, you know, they're trying to redo everything and make A-list as attractive as possible. And we have said multiple times, the only way a subscription service for movie going to a theater experience can work is if it's done by a giant chain. There's no more giant a movie chain than AMC. If that doesn't work, I mean, is there any hope for a subscription movie service unless a studio offers one directly? We have no idea, unfortunately. However, if you look at recent history, if you look at just how much money MoviePass lost and how it fell so severely hard into the earth, yeah. like is Icar- was Icarus, who flowed, flew too close to the sun? <laughs> yeah, I think That's it was what Icarus. Icarus, like just slammed into the ground. So you can guess and you can project that at least amc and trying to figure out the you know the dual lines of revenue to make that subscription service work they probably had to leverage themselves financially and that that's why they had more debts than they could handle heading into this pandemic it, c- it couldn't help them is what i'm saying yeah i i, I agree i mean obviously you know they 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 were up against it. And it was a tough time to, again, it's a tough time to have a months long shutdown. One of the good things, I think, just by coincidence and by them trying to survive this shutdown is that they're kind of leading the charge against landlord payments. I've read it as well. They were one of the first big corporations to come out and say, we're not paying our rent. And if you want it, come after us. We're just, we can't do it. We're not paying our landlord's rent for this month during the shutdown, uh, which has kind of spurred on. You know, not corporations, but rent owners to say the same to their landlord right now. We don't have income. We don't have revenue. We can't pay our rent for this month. And it's that, it's kind of been an, an incidental uh, charge. They can't pay it, though. That's the whole thing. Like if, Right, if they, right, right, right. It's not for good. It's not a cause out of goodness of their hearts. I agree. Um, I, you know, I'm chuckling in the background there because, like, of course you're going to effing say that right. if you have no right. money to pay it and you still have a megaphone to say something. Like, of course, take that stand. Like, it's very, right. very motivated. But, uh, yeah, I agree with you. Maybe there should be some kind of thing put in place. But then, you know, all the landlords are hurt. I, I don't know. I, it, it's just a disaster, you know, for, for a lot of people right now. And Broadway's not doing much better, Mike. We have a quick story on that, they're going to basically stay closed by decree and by from an article from the New York Times here that they're going to stay closed until June, probably longer. Anthony Cuomo, I think, is an actual gangster. I think he's actually in the mafia, and he was on the record today as we record this on the 14th saying that if the president wanted to dictate by edict that all the states must go open now and reopen the economy. His response to that was, well, we're going to have some problems. And that's the most gangster response ever. But as far as Broadway being in New York, I think it's proper to stay closed. I hate the idea of this start, stop, start, stop reopening. I think you need to have all the great minds and all the leaders of these communities come together. Like is having happened in the Northeast. We have the, the seven governors that are all kind of trying to come up with their plan how to open as one they're going to open up the region when it's time and when it's proper and when it's ready the idea of what china did i hated it at the start when they opened those 500 theaters just to reclose them i think it's just asking for trouble i don't see the upside to it i would say the same if broadway did the same don't open until we're sure we have a plan in place to open would be my advice i i totally agree and uh, I'm rooting for I'm rooting for the the leaders we have to be smarter, 
then I fear they are not. <laughs> Michael, we're going to get ahead now to a box office update. Trolls World Tour is the best opening weekend ever in the history of VOD, says Universal. Highest grossing VOD debut for any movie ever. Uh, we don't have context to know what that exactly means. We don't know if the film made money, if it made back a percentage of its loss, how it's doing vis-a-vis a theater release. The fact that Universal released this information suggests to me that it's not doing well. <laughs> because yeah. it's, look, look how good we are. Look at this number over here. The biggest question to me with Trolls rolling out on VOD is the one that Slash Film asks in their article as well. What does this mean for future titles? Because if the financial do add up if trolls is doing okay enough to exist on vod a trolls world tour are there any other blockbusters that got moved at first that end up going the vod route if this shutdown prolongs and persists through the summer like do we get an unexpected title getting the switch from well we were going to put it out in november or we're going to put it out in 2021 but you know what trolls world tour did okay they made at least they broke even let's just break even and hope that we can uh, get some money back on this so here's I don't know. Name your blockbuster. I want to say Black Widow because it's the only one that comes to mind, even though I'm sure Marvel wouldn't do this. But, you know, here's Blockbuster X. Let's see how it does on VOD. Yeah, you're hitting the nail on the head. Obviously, we will find out if this works or this does not work by what the studios do with other movies. I am guessing the next opportunity for a humongous movie comes with Mulan at the end of July. Because will they move it a, a second time? Or will they just say, all right, let's do the VOD release ahead of a Disney Plus thing and they'll, they'll, they'll cut their losses and they'll still make some money back in that regard. Then again, you'd have to look at that a little skeptically because I just play devil's advocate in my own argument. <laughs> You're in a contrarian mood today. <laughs> but I did listen to the Big Picture podcast this morning with Sean Fennessy and he was kind of projecting that Trolls World Tour made around $50 million because apparently Trolls World Tour did better, did much better, smash the record of that last Jurassic World movie so that made 30 million so if you smash it then 50 to 60 million would make sense what does it mean Mike at the end of the day I mean this $20 two-day rental it, it could be something that takes the place of you know that that theater going experience in this weird situation but as Jason Blum said on Bill Simmons I'm shouting out the ringer like crazy here mm. You know, you can't do a one-to-one apples-to-apples comparison with these movies out right now during a worldwide pandemic and what might work in the future of movie-going or movie-watching because it's this, this is the time where the demand is just, you know, rampant. And it's not going to be that when there's movies in the theaters competing with what's on at home on VOD. I don't know. I, I think Trolls made $344 million in theaters. Trolls 1, that is. And an additional $70 million on Blu-ray, DVD. Like Jason Blum said, does this window right now take away the watch-at-home audience from when this movie is eventually able to be purchased? You know, Trolls World Tour right. is eventually sure, able to be I'm purchased. Sure it will, yeah. Yeah, I mean, then that can hurt them on the back end. Right. So we don't know. Okay, I mean, a lot of, it's an interesting time in the movie industry in general. I mean, it's an interesting time in the world, in history. We're living through something quite historic. But the movie industry specifically, a lot of stuff to keep your eye on and keep your finger on the pulse of because it's going to have long-term ramifications for years to come. Uh, and we might be changing our way of doing business as normal. We'll talk mm-hmm. about some other things we care about or not.
This is the Do You Care segment. This is where we take other news stories of the week. We ask each other, do we, should we, or will we care about them? The way we start every Do You Care segment is I ask Bubble Boy Mike over there uh, about the latest releases coming out, usually in theaters. Obviously not the case during this quarantine, so let's talk about some stuff coming out to VOD and on streaming services. Mike, coming out VOD this week, we have The Rhythm Section, Fantasy Island, and Underwater. Those three movies were annihilated, uh, critically. (laughs) They are quintessential... January, February, yes. dumpshuary type movies, right? <laughs> that just get hammered, that suck, that... Um, we didn't see them, I probably shouldn't say all that, but my quarter two is fast becoming my movie nightmare because I'm kind of getting done with all my Oscar catch-up, you mm-hmm. know, the movies that, you know, like the Les Miserables, etc., that I didn't have, have access to or miss my opportunities to see in the winter, and I'm running out of those movies, I'm watching Bigfoot documentaries, I don't want to see any of this shit. It's only a matter of time before you just say, fuck it. You go off into the woods on your own. You say, I'm going to finally catch me a Sasquatch. So that's what we're facing. And I'm going to blame the movie industry for when you finally snap and do lose it. I would not survive very long, Michael. I'm terrible in the woods. <laughs> Coming to streaming, Mike, we have Sella and the Spades. That comes to Amazon Prime. We reviewed the trailer for that last week. Yep. And we have Sergio. That's coming to Netflix starring Anna de Armas. Of course I'm watching both of these. The first one had a great trailer sale in the spades, and Anna de Armas is supposed to have this great Oscar-contending year, and this is the first of three movies where she is just continuously raising her game and getting buzzed about for so I'm in. And finally, Michael, maybe the most uh, excited for any property that we are collectively here, the Michael Jordan The Last Dance is going to premiere on ESPN April 20th. Obviously, we both have talked about this already. Yeah, injected in my veins. I'm in. You're in. We can't wait. Mike, we have a bunch of uh, high-profile streaming and TV news stories as well. We are getting a new Tiger King episode, but it's basically a talk show slash after show wrap-up with Joel McHale. I could think of no more appropriate ending and send-off for those characters than an after show (laughs) wrap-up starring Joel McHale. So that's a very fitting ending. Everyone's trying to get on the Tiger Tiger King hype still. Fox aired like this T TMZ documentary in primetime the other night of it. So, yeah, more power to you, I guess. The ID Network is uh, coming up with a whole series of their own. We have, uh, you know, Nielsen reporting that Tiger King drew Stranger Things level audience numbers. And it's it's obviously the most talked about anything right now in the world. Tiger King has won the quarantine if it's not some good news, Mike. But, Imagine uh, all our posturing here about what Netflix needs to do and what they should be spending money on and what brings in the most <laughs> viewers. And it's Carol Baskin and Joe Exotic are the kings of the network and they're responsible for Netflix's boon. The world is is coming to an end. I mean, this is what it means, right? Mike, we have a court ruling delaying the release of Time to Hunt, that Korean thriller that was supposed to premiere on Netflix last week. Yeah, so basically from what I gather about reading this, the international distributor of the film, Content Panda, is saying Mm -hmm. that the studio that produced the film, Little Big Pictures, violated the deal by agreeing, by Little Big Pictures agreeing with Netflix to instead of having a theatrical release going on streaming and content panda the international distributor again is saying basically look we spent all this money on marketing already you can't just break your contract it's the ins and outs of it are are pretty basic but to me it's just interesting in that i this is a fresh time where a lot of these suits could come forward and this is one of the the first of its kind that's at least made headlines so it's going to be unique to see what the fallout of this is are there is there any legal leniency towards Essentially, 
a, a studio trying to chase its loss from this unforeseen pandemic. And usually when active gods are in play and there's nothing anyone can do about anything, uh, they tend to get kind of a break on the legal side. But then again, it takes a lot of planning to revert or at least adapt your plan from, okay, we have this pandemic. We've already spent money. We've already paid, you know, for the marketing, but we're not going to get people in studio. Let's see if we can work out a deal with Netflix. So that seems like it's a little premeditated as well. Uh, just something to keep an eye on for the legal nerds out there. going to be something interesting to, to see. And it, it, it's more a representation of what kind of suits could be coming if people with means and studios that have the resources to do these things and file these suits and go through with them uh, actually decide to do so in the near future. Yeah, intriguing for sure. I understood maybe a third of what you just said, but yeah, I so think, did uh, I. I just faked all that. Though, so don't worry <laughs> about it. I, I want to keep track of that story. That it is interesting. All I know is I was going to get to watch that movie, and now I will not. <laughs> Michael, a movie that we will be able to watch eventually. They haven't given a release date. Last time I checked, Amazon Prime acquired the rights to Dave Bautista's My Spy from STX, and that kind of bleeds in. That last story kind of bleeds into this one. What were the legalities? Of, of STX pivoting from a distribution plan to going on streaming with Netflix. Is there any kind of fallout from this that's going to happen? This is why it's a very, very unique time, legally speaking, as far as all the contracts and all the deal-making, the behind-the-scenes stuff, which is what really revs my engine and totally explains why I'm single uh, as to what is going to happen with these films in this current COVID marketplace. But like you said, yeah, My Spy is now going to be an Amazon Prime release and debut. It's a big movie, and it was going to get a theatrical release, and this is something you projected way back when, when you said streaming services were going to swoop in at yeah. some point, and the movies that couldn't stand to, to hold out, and couldn't and the studios that couldn't stand to, you know, not cut their losses would you know, sell the lovebirds or sell my spy. And, and that's exactly what's happening. So good job by you. <laughs> Yay. I got one, right? <laughs> uh, Mike, which of these movies do you care most about? So for lead off here, we have Bob Odenkirk. He has an action movie call coming out called nobody. It just got moved to February, bumping the next M night Shyamalan film for mm -hmm. universal. We have lady Gaga. It's set to start in MGM's Gucci for Ridley Scott. After beating out Netflix in a bidding war for this movie, uh, I don't know why there's still hype about Ridley Scott movies, but I'm not the one answering this hypothesis. <laughs> we have Disney Plus set to do a live-action remake of Robin Hood from, with the blind-spotting director Carlos Lopez Estrada. Or we have The Rock still hoping to start filming Black Adam, the DC Shazam spinoff by the end of the summer. Which of those four gets your goat? All right. I like Shazam, and I moderately enjoy The Rock as a movie star. How dare you? <laughs> I, I, put, I wrote in, wait for Mike to hemorrhage, <laughs> and then I'll start talking again. No, I, I'm fascinated by Bob Odenkirk's stories where he got this fight game and this fight training on for this action movie that Bob Odenkirk, career comedian and office man and Better Call Saw dude, you know, he's going to be in an action movie? Are you kidding me? People Whatever. saw Kumail Nanjiani getting all cut up, and they were just yeah. like, I can do that. Well, he could just be working out right now in yeah. his makeshift garage, I'm sure, Mr. <laughs> Odenkirk. But I'm also a huge fan of the Disney animated Robin Hood from 1973. However, Mike, yep. 
<laughs> However, all those movies have red flags. I mean, Shazam was hit, very hit and miss. It was fun, but it wasn't. Bob Odenkirk doing an action movie that could easily suck. Mm-hmm. We have uh, Robin Hood, <laughs> Disney live action remake. They just fucked up Lady and the Tramp. They could totally screw this one up for Disney+. Plus. What about The like, Lion King? That was live action, and we hated it. Correct. I hated The Lion King. Now... I'm seeing all kinds of buzzworthy Oscar potential for Gaga's Gucci here because this could carry over for The Last Duel as well. You know, you have the sun shining on both of these movies because Ridley Scott's last one was not a box office hit. We had all the money in the world, ironically lost money at the box office, even though you know Christopher <laughs> Plummer got nominated. Yes, Ridley Scott's previous th- three films, Prometheus, The Martian, American Gangster, those were all hits, but... You have Netflix in a bidding war, you know, for next year's potential Oscar movie with Gucci here, with MGM spending some Bond money, maybe. We have Lady Gaga. We've been waiting for what her follow-up was going to be. We have Ridley Scott, who's a proven commodity. And then we have this, you know, this first-time screenwriter, Roberto Bentivegna. He's adap- yeah, he's adapting this book called The House of Gucci, A Sensational Story of Murder, Madness, Glamour, and Greed. So, Michael, we're getting this movie from the writer of a movie called The Eel. This has to be a dynamite script for a bidding war to happen over it. This has to be a damn good property. I'm intrigued by it. I think Lady Gaga's management is very, very smart and very wily, and they're putting her in very, very good situations. I don't know how you can't be excited. I'm not at fashionable at all, but having Lady Gaga involved in a Gucci movie, I mean, right? that kind of it makes a lot of hype in and of itself. I am very tempered with Ridley Scott just in general. I'm not crazy sure. about anything he's done in the last 15 years or so. I mean, Prometheus, I wasn't crazy about. All the money in the world, Alien Covenant, Exodus, Gods and Kings. Yeah, The Martian was fine. The Martian was pretty damn good. Yeah, it was fine, Michael. It was it's fine. better than fine. It's a lot better than How fine. How much did you laugh? Right. The, the, did you like it as, as a comedy, like the Golden Globes did? I'm still bitter about that, but that's neither yeah, here nor there. But I laughed a lot. Oh, well, you got to watch The Martian again. That's, that's a good movie. I remember that being a really good movie. But, yeah, I think you – I don't know. I think you're a uh, – Cynical bastard is the word yeah, you were looking for the there. For. <laughs> I don't understand the Robin Hood thing at all, but I am obviously very excited for The Rock and doing Black Adam. I can't wait to get that. I think out. a lot of people are. I think that's the popular choice. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, I'm in for Gaga's Gucci. That's came out wrong several times now. <laughs> but, Mike, let me put a similar question to you because you're the horror movie you know, connoisseur of the two of us. Which horror movie announcement do you care most about? We have... The remake of 2001's The Others star, who, that starred Nicole Kidman. It was a ghost story. Sentient Entertainment's doing that. I we am have... your daughter. <laughs> oh, my God, that trailer. How many times <laughs> did we watch that trailer? <laughs> anyway, number two, we have Fetty Alvarez of Don't Breathe and Evil Dead. He is going to direct a zombie pandemic movie called 16 States. Mm-hmm. We have Gary Doberman, who we've shouted out a bunch on this show as being a really good writer and director of the Conjuring Universe films of the It Chapter 1 and Chapter 2 movies. He is doing, he's done Annabelle Comes Home as a writer-director. He is going to do a Stephen King adaptation of Salem's Lot. Which of those three? Uh, Anything but the first one. I don't understand why the others merits a remake. It doesn't seem like it's that. I, I know 2001 was 19 years ago, and that makes me sad because I'm old. But I, I that's still pretty fresh in, I would think, the horror genre's mind, isn't it? 
Yeah, I, I don't think you need a, a remake of a solid ghost story. I mean, right. it was solid, right? I guess right? if you're remaking The Grudge's remake already, then why not? Mm. I mean, it's probably the idea, but I can't... I, I, that one, I think, has the highest volatility. I can see that one going most wrong the easiest, but I'm excited for either of the other two. Fede Alvarez has, has kind of proven his worth. I know nothing about 16 states, but I know Fede Alvarez is, is very good in what he's done. I mean, Don't Breathe... I loved Don't Breathe. I absolutely yeah. loved it. And The Evil Dead got very, very high marks for that remake. I like I that, too. That was a high degree of difficulty, too, to pull that off. And you said everything we say about Gary Dauberman. So, yes, I'm equally excited about him. Salem's Lot. I, did you ever watch the original? I read the book or I listened to the audio book. I hated that book. Hated it. Oh, really? So, I don't know if that's going to work. But who knows? I, I didn't you know, I didn't watch the Rob Lowe uh, miniseries or whatever it was. Seems like a risk. Yeah, I, I don't I don't think I've ever sat through the entire movie, but I remember hearing people hate it. So that's that makes sense that it, it does seem like a risk. I think you hit the nail on the head there. <laughs> Mike, let's let's take a second to talk about cats the butthole cut. <laughs> yes. Chris Evangelista was on top of this for Slash Film. He's always doing cool stories on SlashFilm.com, and this comes by way of the Daily Beast. The Cats VFX team had to go back through all of the footage and take out all of the buttholes. Mike, were the leggings see-through? Like these <laughs> green man onesies? Uh, like, obviously they're not naked, were they? I mean, they're not wearing body paint. So I don't get, I don't get how this is not the butt crack cut. Like, I mean, I guess you can get a lot of yoga pants butt cracks. I don't understand why it's not butt crack and it is butt hole. Dame, can you answer me this? Dame Judy Dench on set just letting that sphincter sphere, you know, flare out and get some fresh air every minute. She's known for doing that. No, this is gross. Everything about this is gross. I'm tired of talking about cats still. What were all those perverts doing? What were they doing, Michael? Rebel Wilson just bending all, you know. Yeah, oh God. All right, we, let's, we got it. We got to get out of here. Let's uh, let's wrap this up with some audience interaction, Michael. Six degrees of MMO. We had Anne Hathaway to Lisa Bonet by way of a troll, and you have an apology to make. Yeah, first of all, I put Shrek's picture, and you didn't correct me, by the way, because I said this on the last episode. I thought of it afterwards, but you uh, know, I, didn't, I, didn't I put right. I put Shrek's picture on the booster tweet and i'm ashamed of myself as both a fantasy and a movie nerd of course shrek is an ogre he is not a troll jordan beck was all over me for that with a hilarious james harden gif apa something a podcast about something they ripped me a new one as well so that being said our listeners came through though they came they overcame my misinformation there michael yes our our deepest apologies to all of our ogre and troll <laughs> listeners the efficiency awards this week kate at captain hangry underscore hangry and hathaway was in hoodwinked with kevin michael richardson richardson is a troll in trolls world tour with karen sony sony appeared in rough night with zoe kravitz who's the daughter of lisa bonet we also have the mm -hmm. i need to watch or rewatch this chain award once again from robert doc 1980 who's been suggesting some great stuff over the last few weeks. Anne Hathaway was in an episode of Modern Love with a musical premise compared to Crazy Ex-Girlfriend starring Rachel Bloom, who voices Evil Troll in Trolls World Tour, with Anna Kendrick, who's in Into the Woods with Meryl Streep, who's in Deer Hunter with Robert De Niro, who's in Angel Heart with Lisa Bonet, one of the greatest uh, cinematic character names <laughs> of all time, Louis Cipher. Yeah. 
Lewis Cipher. That's right. I kind of wanted to watch Angel Heart again the other day, so that was a reason for me calling the award that. But Deer Hunter is another one that I, I haven't seen in a while. And let's just say you, you've been crazy about Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. A lot of people love that show, as they do with Modern Love. So I'm on the record about Trolls World Tour. The rest of that chain I would watch. And, yeah, I thought Kate was uh, was really uh, really efficient in her entry. Mike, the I Am the Master of IMDB Award this week goes to Mark Berg at the one Hanson one spelled out Anne Hathaway shares a surname with Noah Hathaway yes. who is in troll with Julia, Julia Louis-Dreyfus nice. who was a guest on the Arsenio Hall show with the Temptations who sang Papa was a Rolling Stone which was on the soundtrack for the nice guys starring Kim Basinger who of course got freaky in nine and a half weeks with Mickey Rourke who was in Angel Heart with Lisa Bonet Mickey Rourke in Angel Heart looks nothing like current mickey rourke (laughs) that's sad but true and you say the darndest things you child you man child that's a terrible thing to say i'm sorry i I, it's it's uh, i mean look i'm not saying it mickey rourke's face is saying it all right the cleverest wordplay of the week award goes to bill bratsky at bill bratsky 2620 Hathaway was in Colossal with Jason Sudeikis, who was in We're the Millers with Jennifer Aniston, who was in Leprechaun, the titular character of which is in the Troll family. (laughs) The Leprechaun famously once went into space, entering a different world, Michael, much like Bonet did on TV. And if people are wondering for that reference, she starred in the Cosby spinoff series from 1987 to 1989 called... A different world. You see, he looked more like Nick Nolte in Angel Heart than he did current Mickey Rourke is what I'm getting at here. Like, if you were to take the guy from The Wrestler, you would think that that's one guy, and then you take yeah. Angel Heart guy, yeah. you think that's a different guy, is my point. Mike, that was very clever what Bill Brask did. <laughs> that's all I want to say. Well, let's just talk past each other for the rest of this. Go ahead. Uh, the If This Entry Were a Toast You Made at the Bar, I Would Hug You Afterwards Award. Nolan, do not spoil <laughs> DuckTales Roberts at Nolan Roberts 17. Lisa Bonet was in an episode of New Girl starring Joey Deschanel, who appeared as a guest on an episode of Real Time with Bill Maher, who's one of the most vocal challengers of the troll currently in office. <laughs> Donald Trump, who has picked fights with numerous celebrities, including Meryl Streep, who was nominated for Best Lead Actress in 2006 but lost to Helen Mirren, who was in The Tempest, based on the play written by William Shakespeare, who was married to Anne Hathaway. Cheers, Nolan. Cheers. Uh, The winner this week has to be Swamp Thing, played by CGI Luke Kirby, who's great on The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. At Wojciech Weischer, he said Lisa Bonet was mentioned in the 2003 song Bob by Weird Al Yankovic. (laughs) Just right off the bat. Don't remember that, but yes, great. Weird Al Yankovic parodies the 1965 song Subterranean Homesick Blues by Bob Dylan. Music's finest troll. Oh, nice. Very nicely done, Wojciech. In 1966, Dylan released the song called Sad-Eyed Lady of the Lowlands, in which he remade the classic poem Anne Hathaway. Are you kidding me? Look at that. That's some esteem. That That's way too classy of an answer for this show. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> Excellent job. Great job, Wojciech. You are the winner of all things bragging rights, six degrees of MMO related. I, I got to tell you, Mike, I do not remember our throne at all. I know it's in a bubble and I know it's a chair. Dark Nook sent us the perfect I saw that. Visual. I saw that. That was great. 
it's like a bubble boy chair. I mean, it is the absolute perfection. It's exactly <laughs> what your mind's eye was dreaming up. It is. To a T. Yeah. Uh, but other than that, did we have any bells or whistles attached? I thought I put something on it, but I cannot remember for the life of me. I don't remember, but I think it was mobile. Like, so it could move around. Right. You wanted you it wanted... off into space. Yeah, I don't think we should go to space at this time it's because you got to go through an airport, or at best you got to go through whatever that uh, Bond villain's name, uh, Drax's. Right, you know? right, right. And people probably got Corona over there. So it's just not going to be safe. <laughs> okay. So you could travel around and you could like wave to people in windows. I mean, that's a start mm-hmm. of the improv, which I suck at. Mm-hmm. It's got a got? cannon on top. It's the Pope Mobile. It's coming back to me now. It's got a cannon on top that uh-huh. fires hand sanitizer. And oh, it's just good. Like this, this human sized blob. It's not in containers. It's just the actual wet hand sanitizer. <laughs> it's like Homer's uh, makeup shotgun from the Simpsons once upon a time. It'll just fire and cover you in hand sanitizer, but you that's... won't have germs. So there you go. You got a mobile attack vehicle of uh, Purell. Disgusting visual. The most <laughs> disgusting visual you've ever given on this show. And I won't let you uh, forget it. That's You're horrible. welcome. You're oh welcome. my God. What do we have for next week's challenge, Michael? Yeah, you just wrote this in. This yeah, is a great move. We have Fetty Alvarez to Weird Al Yankovic. We've just talked about we just talked about both those guys. So this this is perfect. Let's have fun with it. Weird Al's done a million parodies. Fetty Alvarez has directed a lot of cool movies. That's your challenge. There you go. That is your challenge for next week's Six Degrees of MMO. And this has been your look around the Hollywoods with Mike, Mike, and Oscar Weekly. Guys, as always, we want to hear your thoughts, comments, questions, concerns about anything we covered in this episode. We also want to hear your Six Degrees of MMO entries. You can leave us all of those as well as commenting on anything else we do in the MMO empire. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook. Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Instagram at MM and Oscar on Twitter. Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com and on Reddit. We are available everywhere you hear podcasts, including an especially Apple Podcast. If you happen to be spending your quarantine with us and letting us, uh, giving us the chance to entertain you, we cannot thank you enough. Uh, if you would be so kind as to leave us a five star review for the hard work we're trying to do here, that would be greatly appreciated as well. Michael, we got a little bit of a change to our schedule from what we promised them, so fill the good people in and leave them some words of wisdom. So we're going to bump our draft day episode, but it's for a good reason, because you landed a really cool guest that we're a big fan of. She's a sports writer. I'm not going to spoil these two next guests that we have coming in, because what if it falls through and it's bad egg on all our faces, but we're really excited about that. We're going to record the draft day retrospective episode with her over the weekend, we hope, we think, uh, and we can't wait for. And then we have an MMO interviews episode. We're going to be a half bio, half, uh, you know, look ahead at the, the movie world and the industry like we've been doing, breaking it down. I mean, this woman can drop knowledge like no other mm-hmm. uh, on the movie business. She's been covering it with the Hollywood Reporter variety uh, with a ton of great outlets. I, if I say her current outlet, I'll give it away. But we've, we're constantly referencing her work on the show. We, we, we asked her for the first time to, to come on with us and she said yes which was just like touched warmed my heart I couldn't believe it because she's been a dream guest of ours forever we never worked up the courage to ask her so we're really excited I've teased you way too much basically <laughs> I've tickled you until you started to cry like a like a little kid looking and, very forward to both of these falling through and us having nothing to give right. to people 
But we got a weird schedule this week. <laughs> we got a weird schedule because uh, we're going to prep for the big interview on Friday. Then we're going to prep for, you know, our, our Sunday or Monday rewatch of draft day. And then we'll we'll get into three episodes again for you next week. So we'll make it up to you. We think we hope. But we got two big episodes coming. So stay tuned. Mike, I got some big words of wisdom. As yeah, well. you, your last ones were very heartwarming and very touching. So follow that up. I think we need to try and support our local movie theaters like sooner, sooner than later here. And this is something I got to get on, you know, so I'm saying as much to myself, we got to buy gift certificates to to our local chains. If we can, we got to use their new streaming services when, and if we can, they're out there. We could just make donations uh, that would help them out. I'm sure personally, like I said, I haven't done enough myself and I know a lot of people out there are, so I commend them. I think we're getting some scary reports about the theatrical movie going experience and that business. There is an imperative out there that we help them. In fact, we have Chris Evangelista putting out a great article on Slash Film where we can get the best of both worlds in a way because we're looking for content. And Lionsgate is putting out Lionsgate Live, which is basically a free Friday streaming for the next four weeks. We have The Hunger Games, Dirty Dancing, La La Land, and John Wick starting this Friday, the 17th. Uh, YouTube, Fandango, NATO, Lionsgate are all working together with two major companies companies mike popcornopolis and snack nation and apparently during those live streams they're going to be offering you know popcorn snack bundles and baskets to where percentages of that will go to furloughed movie theater employees we've been blessed by having brian formo of fandango on the show we've loved a lot of lionsgate movies you can't stop watching youtube we make fun of nato's name but we support their business michael <laughs> and chris evangelista is a dude we've thought we i mean we've always thought writes the coolest shit on slash film we're a huge fan so all of the for all those reasons we need to you know we need to step up i think they need to have a uh, a dual viewing <laughs> angel heart and the wrestler there you go <laughs> i could finally put that to bed no very good cause obviously uh great words of wisdom uh as you've had the last couple you're really setting the bar pretty high for yourself mike and i i mean i'm, I'm looking forward to it coming, coming coming crashing down on your head one of these days but, yeah uh, one of these days i'm just gonna be like don't eat so much food <laughs> you fat bastard mike one and mike but two. for now very very serious and very great words of wisdom and with good messages <laughs> at the hearts of both of them guys uh when reality sucks you can come watch these movies movies uh with us and with a bunch of other cool organizations online as mike just told you about uh we are mike mike and oscar trying to make award season year round without the stuffiness we will see you all very soon see ya